Hello, listener, and welcome back to another episode of the Lopsided Free Podcast. This is your weekly roundtable discussion of all of the biggest and best football games, transfers, stories, and so much more. As always, I am your host, Mr. James Gray, but not quite as always. This week, anyway, we are only joined by one of the podcast's two staple co-hosts. That is Mr. Thomas Hill. Unfortunately, James cannot make it this evening. He's decided to prioritise watching the latest James Bond film over recording the Lopsided Free podcast on this Sunday evening. You can read into that what you will with regards to his level of commitment to this podcast. We may have to look at getting a replacement in sorry James we love you really Tom we've got myself we've got you we've got tons to get into how are you doing how's your weekend been I'm good uh yeah it's been a good weekend with no Arnold this week I feel like the pressure's really on to pull out a big performance so I'll try I'll try and step up to the plate on that front I've got plenty to talk about so I don't know maybe it's a good week for me to have a little bit more time Absolutely. The limelight is all yours this week. As always, listener, if you would like to get involved with any of the discussions, any of the debates that we talk about in today's episode, you can do so by following us on our social medias, whether that is on Twitter using our handle at Lopsided Free, or you can find us on Facebook simply by typing into your search bar, the Lopsided Free podcast. We've got plenty to talk about in this week's episode. We're going to be discussing all of the latest games from around the Premier League. The breaking news that emerged this morning, Watford becoming the first Premier League team of the season to sack their manager, Cisco Munoz. We'll be talking about Gareth Southgate's selections for the latest England squad. And we'll also be going into a bit of the Champions League round of fixtures that just happened this past week and the situation that Barcelona currently find themselves in. And then to finish things off, we'll be going with our usual fantasy football segment. So we've got plenty to get stuck into this week. Now that the formalities are out of the way, let's get on with the episode. And Tom, I don't know about you, but there's probably no better place to start than the game that finished just over an hour and a half ago. I'm still buzzing off it, personally. Manchester City versus Liverpool. It feels weird for me to say that because Manchester City and Liverpool being a Manchester United fan. But for me, and I'm sure a lot of other neutrals share this sentiment, it's probably been the best fixture to watch across the Premier League over the last couple of seasons, certainly since Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp took over both Manchester City and Liverpool respectively. It finished two all today. Gary Neville Sky Sports took the unique approach at awarding a joint man of the match to Phil Foden and Mohamed Salah, which I think speaks volumes about how good the game was itself. You're obviously a Liverpool fan. What's your overall assessment of the game? Are you disappointed not to have taken all three points having gone ahead twice in the game? You're always going to be a bit disappointed going ahead twice and not winning. That being said, if you look at the context for it, with how well Man City played at times, how poorly Liverpool played in the first half, and the situation with James Milner, I'm sure we'll get into talking about that. I think Liverpool probably can't complain too much about coming away of a draw. I know for me personally, I almost had a heart attack about five times minimum during that game. It was my heart rate still at about 120, I think. It's, yeah, it was... Uh, It's an interesting one to watch from a non-neutral's point of view, that's for sure. 
as you say, we'll come on to the James Milner talking point in a second. We spoke about how brilliant he is last week on the podcast. Mohamed Salah today had an exceptional goal. I was sat in my living room watching the game and I think I must have repeated the word wow about five, six times. I mean, to put it into perspective for anyone that hasn't seen the goal yet, the footwork he used to get around Bernardo Silva, the way that he turned Imeric Laporte inside out. And we're not just talking about run of the mill Premier League players here. We're talking about some of the best international players in the world. And then the finish to top it all off. Fantastic goal. Great performance from Mo Salah. I mean, once again, how good was he today? He was unbelievable. He was the one who really led the charge, I think. And he has been so often for Liverpool, right from when he joined the club. He's been probably the most consistent performer in attack over that time. The way he drove at the Man City defence for the first goal and then obviously slid the pass through to Sadio Mane for the first goal. And then, yeah, that, I mean, that goal from Salah is a proper contender already for goal of the season. Off the top of my head, I can't think of a goal Salah scored which tops that, really. Wow, high praise. I mean, of course, I, I'm sure I might have missed some, but that was, I've never seen Salah move the ball at his feet with quite that kind of pace and precision before. There aren't, yeah, there aren't a lot of players in world football who can do what Salah did in that game, really. And not just the goal, but that's, of course, what I mean mostly. But throughout that whole game, he was absolutely fantastic. And of course, then you've got Foden as well. Yeah, you mentioned joint man of the match. In terms of the overall performance, he was almost even better than Salah. I mean, you're never going to top that goal from Salah, but Foden and Bernardo Silva, shout out to him as well. Between those two, Liverpool never even got close to them. Every time a Liverpool player went to press Foden or Bernardo, Silver, they were away from the defenders, just ghosted past them. It was quite unerring, really, to watch it. And we've touched on it a minute ago, the James Milner incident. Are you in the camp to say that he was lucky to stay on the pitch? I think Pep Guardiola, certainly judging by his antics on the touchline, certainly felt that he should have been dismissed. So lucky. It was definitely a red card. I don't know how the referee didn't give it, to be honest. I wasn't complaining for obvious reasons. I'm not really sure what the ref missed there. It wasn't one where the ref wouldn't have really seen it properly. I mean, those are those are always yellow cards. I know referees tend to be a bit more hesitant on giving second yellows, but I don't know how you can ever get away if not a yellow for that. Certainly. I 100% agree with you. It was a pretty baffling decision from the referee. Liverpool stay second in the league. Manchester City, or Liverpool go down to second, I think. I think they came into the weekend top. But Manchester City go into third place. I know yourself and Arnold predicted Liverpool to win the league at the start of the season but I think I'm probably fair in saying that in the wider football context there wasn't a huge clamour to say that Liverpool were going to win the league at the start of the season certainly I think a lot of people were putting Chelsea and Manchester City as favourites to win the league but Liverpool are now the only unbeaten team left in the Premier League they've obviously played Chelsea played Manchester City now true both occasions yes but they've come through those games with results I know what you're going to say and what how you feel personally about this but do you think that the wider football world needs to respect the title credentials of Liverpool more for the remainder of this season? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably fair. I think a lot of people were really completely writing Liverpool off. You know, I think the idea that Liverpool would kind of be finishing around the fourth position, I mean, look, that could still happen, but, you know, there's a lot of other good competitors. But I think Liverpool are a lot closer to challenging for a title than they are to being on the bottom end of that top four. What I do think is, I think I personally have underestimated Man City. I think in our predictions video, I put them in third place. Now, if I had to put money on it, I would say City to win the league. Liverpool 
Liverpool second. What I do think is, watching that second half today, when they're properly going, those two teams are still the best in England. Chelsea and Man United are both fantastic teams, but Liverpool and Man City are still the two best teams in England. And to be honest, I think when they play like they played in the second half today, I think those are the two best teams on earth. Possibly putting, you know, Bayern Munich and PSG in that mix as well, but I think they're better. What I would say, again, I'll repeat the Man City thing there. I think I've very much underestimated them. I think they've shown just how good they are. And I think, you know, it's quite easy to forget that they were substantial champions last year. They quite easily won the league. They got a lot more competition this year, but I don't think anyone should be writing them off. I think it's a good point you bring up, actually. I mean, you say that you're worried about your predictions. I mean, I will come on to it in a second, but I, I put Manchester United to finish second and I'm already starting to regret that decision in certain, <laughs> certain respects. We will move on. We've got lots to talk about. Manchester United played Everton on Saturday. It was a 12.30pm kickoff. There was all the hubba-lubba about Solskjaer not particularly agreeing with the early turnaround from playing Wednesday in the Champions League, 12.30 kickoff. Regardless of all of that, it finished one all Manchester United went in front for Anthony Martial Andros Townsend true level for Everton Everton could have won it near to the end Jerry Mina had a goal ruled out for offside I think from a Manchester United fans perspective and I mean we'll come on to it later in this episode about the Champions League game obviously against Villarreal this felt like a less frustrating game to watch from that particular game but having said that it still felt for me anyway I was watching a team that I didn't really know how they're trying to play it felt disconnected at points it felt like we started the game quite well we lost our way midway through the first half I think the thing that I want to ask you about as well as what rattled me is the number of changes that he made from the starting 11 I can understand benching a 36 year old Cristiano Ronaldo but to then bench Jadon Sancho Paul Pogba I think it, you at least start one of them it, to me anyway the team I think what's been shown certainly in this game on Saturday and then also in the League Cup loss to West Ham is that quite evident we don't have the strength and depth and that might sound slightly ridiculous but we don't have the strength and depth to play our second rate team or certainly some of them against some of the better teams in the league some of the better teams in cup competitions and come up with results I don't know what you felt about the team selection that Solskjaer made yesterday United are a funny squad I think because if you look on paper they have pretty good strength and depth I mean obviously they've got a couple of injuries at the moment Rashford being the main one they have a lot of good players who are having to settle for spots on the bench you think about Van der Beek doesn't get a look in and if you know if Rashford is fit then maybe he's on the bench maybe that means Greenwood's on the bench you've got lots of Anthony Martial as well so there's definitely talent there on the bench but I think there's not so much of when Man City I mean obviously Man City have the best squad depth in the league and they do have better depth than Man United but I think when City bring in one player for another it just seems like a smooth transition one player comes in for another and maybe he's coming on to bring something different or maybe it's just freshening legs but it always seems like a smooth transition whereas I think United have a lot of talent on the bench but when the changes are made it seems very bitty when United have their first you know full strength for leveling out everyone kind of knows what the other ones are doing you know they've been the team's been able to kind of mature together but I think when the substitutes come on it kind of seems to fragment the team a bit I think is the main problem and I think you're right you know with making three four five changes from the last match it was always going to be bitty from United's point of view Definitely. I think, and I'm probably being nitpicky here, but I just found the decision that he didn't even start Lingard. And I think if you're making changes personally, for me, I would have started him in, in the game yesterday, but that's that's just my opinion. 
what we're looking at ultimately is if you look at the fixtures in the league, certainly that are coming up after the international break, we've now got Leicester, Liverpool, Tottenham and Manchester City all in a row. Obviously, you've got the Champions League games with Atalanta to come as well. I think you've got to be careful about the language you use here, but it does feel like a defining set of fixtures already for Solskjaer and for United early into this season. Do you hold out much hope that United can gain many, if at all, any points from those fixtures? They're obviously all tough in their own respect. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, United have been... I, I think you used the word frustrating earlier, and I think that's fair. They haven't really shown a lot of control in a lot of games. I think the Everton and Villarreal game are both good examples of where... I think, again, we've talked about a lot of times the shortcomings in midfield. They haven't really been able to put their foot on the ball and control a game. But we've also seen in, you know, the Villarreal game, for example, they've got a lot of match-winning talent, and they've got players who turn up at big times. You know, there are obviously some tough fixtures, but United don't have a bad record against some of the big teams in more recent years anyway. I mean, you look at, you know, the record against Manchester City in recent years and you can see, sure, week in, week out, they're not as consistently good as Manchester City, but they've got the personnel to hurt any team on any day. I think the trouble from a United point of view probably is with that many big games in a row, I don't know if the consistency is there to string together a number of big results over those games. You kind of, I kind of feel like they could, they could have a big win against Liverpool one week and then and they'll slip up against Leicester next week. And it all kind of, the momentum always seems to look like it's building up ahead of steam and then one result and it all kind of comes crashing back down again. It's been more consistent in the last season or so for United, but I think certainly in the earlier times under Solskjaer, that was really the case. You know, we had a few times where we're kind of, you know, it's all jumping on the Ole train and then a couple of bad results and suddenly there's talk of him being sacked and then it starts to build up steam and rolls off again. So I think that's the big challenge for United, especially with, as you say, a number of big games coming up in a row. Moving on to the now league leaders, Chelsea played Southampton again on Saturday. They emerged 3-1 victors at Stamford Bridge. Trevor Chalaber getting the goals underway. Timo Werner getting his first league goal of the season and then Ben Chilwell topping things off. I wanted to talk to you firstly about, obviously, Trevor Chalaber started the first game of the season, scored against Palace, came in yesterday. And we also saw Ruben Loftus-Cheek start a league match as well for Chelsea yesterday. You look at the options that Chelsea have got, do you think that it's feasible for either of those to stay in the team long term I guess it obviously bodes well for Chelsea in terms of their squad there if we've just spoke about Manchester United's there it's an interesting question yeah I mean obviously if you look at the context I think Chelsea's squad is being run a bit thin right now so maybe it's not surprising that they're getting game time as for the long-term prospects I think it looks like Tuchel really likes Chalobah so I think he's one that could very much benefit I mean he obviously wasn't at all in the squad or you know around the first team scene last season he's kind of come onto it this year and he's still very young I think I've seen a lot to like about him there Loftus-Cheek's an interesting one I'm not really sure what to make of his performances so far that so far has felt more like it's been forced on Tuchel to me. I would probably agree with you in that respect, to be honest. I think Loftus-Cheek has always been one of those sort of mercurial players in the sense of he's always had the talent there. I just think, again, it's about putting that consistency together to get a run of games together where he's performing regularly. And I think with you know the likes of Jorginho, Kovacic, N'Golo Kante, obviously ahead of him, it's, it's going to be difficult long-term for him to nail down a place. But he certainly didn't do himself a disservice yesterday. I don't know if you saw the game or you saw the highlights. It seemed to look as though the game swung on James Ward-Prowse's sending off Southampton certainly were competitive up until that point. Sending off for you? Rightful sending off? 
I thought it was a little bit harsh. I can kind of understand why he got a red card for it. For me, I'm certainly on the softer side of some of the ones we've seen recently. I look back to a couple of other ones which have maybe been somewhat controversial, if, you know, probably fair for the majority of people. Maybe the Aaron Wambasaka one. But like the one that Kevin De Bruyne got away with, which was being compared to that Aaron Wambasaka one, I thought was worse than the James Ward Prowse one yesterday. I think it came as a bit of a shock to me anyway, just based off how much more lenient referees have been told to be, certainly in the Premier League at the start of this season. It was one of those ones actually where on first viewing, I thought it was a red and then actually watching it back, I actually changed my mind and, and said it was yellow. So went completely opposite of what the VAR ultimately decided. So interesting. Southampton are also an interesting team because they're without a win this season. Yet I know early on into this podcast, we, <laughs> I think all three of us were guilty to an extent of sort of not writing them off but certainly labeling them as sort of heavy favorites potentially to be relegated i don't think they're out of that conversation certainly but they've put in some notable performances already they got draws against manchester city at city they drew against manchester united of course what few made of their start to the season I think it's been quite a decent start. Obviously, the lack of a win's frustrating, but you know, I think there've been quite a few teams at the bottom of the table who've struggled really to get going. So I think Southampton really aren't on their own in that regard. And I think Ralph Hasenhutl is a fantastic manager, one of the better managers around in the lower reaches of the table. And I think the way he's got Southampton working as a unit is really good. I think they press well together, and I think it got quite a resilient core in the team. I think for me, the worry about Southampton is always going to be goals. I like Adam Armstrong. I think he's a good striker but really when he's the main option up front I'm not sure there are enough goals there you know for Southampton to really be pushing their way up the table the way they defend as a unit and press and work together might be enough to keep them up probably depends more on the teams around them I think but yeah for me the lack of goals is still a bit of a worry We've seen Southampton swing into some awesome runs of form in the past couple of seasons anyway in the Harsen Hurtle. So it'll be interesting to see if they can do the same this year. Okay, looking at other results that happened across the weekend in the Premier League, we saw Brentford beat West Ham away from home with an injury time goal coming from Visser. Visser obviously scored in the free all draw against Liverpool last week. Brentford now move up to seventh in the league table. Spurs broke their losing rut in the league with a 2-1 home win against Aston Villa. We saw Brighton arguably dominate Arsenal in what did turn out to be a nil-nil draw, which was a bit of a, a check for Arsenal given their recent good form in the league. Crystal Palace came from two goals down to draw against Leicester today. And interestingly as well, we also saw Wolves get their first home win of the season under Bruno Lage against Newcastle. Raul Jimenez certainly seems to be back to his best for Wolves. Yeah, I really, really like Raul Jimenez. Uh, obviously, was it one season or two? No, it must have been two seasons ago now. he hit, I think it was 17 goals in the Premier League. And I think as a rounded forward, he's right up there as maybe the best kind of all-round forward outside of the big teams. I mean, he's not competing with Jamie Vardy in terms of goal scoring. But if you look at the strikers around the normal teams in the league, if you like, I think the way he brings other players into the game, as he did for Wang Yi Chan yesterday, two really nice finishes, by the way. I mean, and if he keeps finishing like that, then Wolves might have something going there because they've lacked a bit of sharpness, really, I think, Wolves in the last few seasons. So that could be a really good addition if he keeps up at that rate. Another exciting South Korean to be added to the Premier League. And the final result also just to mention is that Norwich broke their horrendous losing run in the Premier League with a nil-nil draw against Burnley. So we'll see whether Norwich can kick on from that first positive result of the season. We also want to come on to Leeds versus Watford 
obviously Leeds won the game 1-0. But I think the wider story to come away from that game is the breaking news that emerged this morning that Watford became the first Premier League club this season to sack a manager. Cisco Munoz gone after seven games. If you look at where Watford are in the table, they're currently 15th. Two wins, one draw, four losses. There's two wins coming against Aston Villa on the opening day of the season. They beat Norwich several weeks ago now. They drew against Newcastle at home last week, which, as we discussed, wasn't necessarily the worst result in the world. What's your initial reaction to the sacking of Cisco Munoz? Do you think it's a just decision? No, I don't think it's a just decision. I think when I saw the news, it was one of, on the one hand, I was surprised because I think it's so early in the season and I didn't think Watford have had a bad start to the season. You say they're 15th, a couple of wins already. It's not a, not an electric start by any means, but certainly nothing to be panicking about. On the other hand, Watford sacking their manager is probably the least surprising thing that's ever going to happen this season. I don't know if I remember this correctly, but I think I saw a social media post saying that Watford have sat their manager at least one time every single calendar year going back to 2011 I think it was that's correct I saw the same which is quite incredible some of those years included three different managers being (laughs) sacked in just a single year and it happened on multiple times I think if I remember correctly so it it makes me wonder why anyone would take the Watford job to be honest if you just want a quick job then that's the one for you yeah I mean given that he got them promoted and you know as I say 15th in the league couple of wins no disastrous results really really as of yet it did seem very harsh to me if Mm. potentially a little predictable as you say who would want the job unless you want a payout of course if you can get a free year deal at Watford and get sacked six months into it I mean you're certainly going to do well financially out of the deal I mean I can always remember going back a couple of years now but Slavisa Jokanovic won promotion from the championship with Watford and was sacked without even getting to manage a single game with them in the Premier League so I think after that moment I know you say there you're not it's not a shock at all that Watford have sat their manager but I think from that day onwards for me I was like right well nothing's going to shock me at this football club now I think the Pozzo found <laughs> who own Watford have that reputation with Udinese in Italy and Granada in Spain who they also co-own so it's a bit of an odd one I mean looking at the statement this is just something that I picked out that I found quite interesting and I'll quote this from the official statement that was released is that the board said they felt recent performances strongly indicate a negative trend at a time when team cohesion should be visibly improving and as we've discussed there when you actually look at the results that they've had this season I think when you look especially all right albeit the Leeds result yesterday in terms of where Leeds are currently at in the table but I think when you compare the teams that they're certainly going to be fighting against relegation with for the season they've got pretty good results so I, I don't know I, I find the language they've used in that statement there just quite weird I don't I don't really get it I don't really know what more they could want of Cisco Munoz it's uh, they brought in a hell of a lot of new players in the summer they've not necessarily been given all the time in the world to gel yet it's yeah it's a baffling decision but as you say not necessarily one that's a huge shock yeah it's it's weird I think obviously well I don't know about you but I haven't watched Watford play a full match this season only really been able to watch the highlights so it can be difficult from that to gauge the kind of overall team performance at times so maybe there are more negative trends that you know haven't always necessarily played out in goals against Watford and defeats but you know they're kind of looking at it and thinking if these things continue it's going to cost us going forward but as I say on the surface level I think you're right the results against the teams around us have been certainly nothing to be alarmed about 
playing devil's advocate, I see that they're being currently heavily linked with Claudio Ranieri to be Cisco Munoz's replacement. I'm sure they'll argue that their policy of shipping out managers when they feel necessary has worked in the past. It's obviously kept them in the Premier League for, I think it was four or five seasons in the end. As I say, I'm sure they'll argue that their policy works. I just think for most, certainly most English football fans looking into the club, it does feel like a bit of a, a revolving door policy that just doesn't really make too much sense at Watford. Okay, we'll move on to the England squad that's just been announced by Gareth Southgate for October's international fixtures. A couple of interesting lines to emerge from that. I guess we'll start off with players that have earned recalls back into the squad and the two names that we both wanted to talk about today were Fikayo Tomori, defender from AC Milan, obviously joined Milan on a permanent deal from Chelsea this summer and Aston Villa's Ollie Watkins. Yeah, Tamori for me is the one that I was really excited to see in the squad. Definitely deserving of it. If you look at his performances last year and continuing into this year for you know, AC Milan, who finished second in the Serie A table last year and they're obviously competing in the Champions League this year, he's kind of established himself as a regular starter in that team. Still young. I thought he was excellent at Chelsea. I'm surprised. I'm still surprised that Chelsea sold him without a buyback clause or anything like that. I mean, sure, you know, AC Milan and probably have a bit more power to play with now than they did a few years ago when they were underperforming down in the middle of Serie A. But yeah, for me, that kind of feels like one that could have got away for Chelsea because I think he was fantastic for them. He kind of dropped out the team a bit, but what we're seeing from him in Milan is showing, you know, the quality that he has. And I think he's got a real opportunity now to kind of establish himself, I think, as the third choice man for England. Because I think for me, John Stones and Harry Maguire have been an excellent pairing for a while now. And I think... I mean, John Stones, I guess, is out of the Man City team at the moment. But for me, that looks like a good, well-oiled partnership that doesn't necessarily need to be tampered with. But if I look at the options after that, I think Connor Cody's the other centre-back in the squad. Mings is in there as well, yeah. And then beyond that, Ben White and Ben Godfrey were in the preliminary squad before the Euros. I mean, White and Godfrey both look like potentially good players going forward. White's obviously got his big move to Arsenal. But particularly in Cody and Mings, I don't see them as out outstanding players I kind of see them as you know stop gaps it's okay to bring one of them in maybe if you've got an injury to Stones or Maguire but for me they don't look like players good enough to be England starters going forward Tamori fingers crossed could be the guy to kind of come in and take that place for me not to rain on Tyrone Mings or Connor Cody's parade, but I think certainly when the World Cup squad is announced, I'll be amazed if, probably not actually, you know, say that knowing what Southgate can be like, I won't be shocked if one of them is in it. I'd probably lean more towards Tyrone Mings being that man, but I'll be amazed if both of them are in it. I think, as you say, you've got the likes of Ben White, Ben Godfrey. You could even throw in to say, I know he's only in England under 21 international at this point in time, but Mark Guehi has had a yeah. decent start for Crystal Palace. I know Brighton fans will be screaming Lewis Dunk. There's certainly other options out so it'll be interesting to see how the centre-back pairing for England will, will, even if it is a pairing, maybe it's a free Southgate opts to go for that formation again, how that shapes up ahead of the World Cup. The other interesting line to come up from the England squad announcement was that Mason Greenwood, Jude Bellingham, two of the better youngsters, if not the two outstanding youngsters in the team, left out of this squad. Southgate stating it was because they both need to be managed. They're early into their careers. The amount of football that they need to be given needs to be managed obviously both of them are regular starters for their respective clubs do you think that's the right approach from Southgate or do you think he's being overly cautious 
It's a little bit of both, really. I mean, I understand his sentiment. I think when you look at the fixtures, they're games that we probably should win with or without them. And we're already in a strong position in the group. So I can understand maybe he's thinking, we don't need to be taking risks here. We can manage without them. Let's give them a bit of a break. That being said, I think with both of them, I think particularly with Greenwood at the moment, because of the injuries to other England players, you know, Kane is still the regular starter up front for England. I know Greenwood hasn't been playing up front for United has been playing more off the right or the left-hand side. But you already mentioned, obviously, Watkins coming back into the squad. But you've got Calvert-Lewin's injured at the moment. I think Bamford's injured at the moment as well. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a real opportunity, or there could have been a real opportunity, for Mason Greenwood to get some proper game time as a centre-forward for England and giving Harry Kane a bit of rest. And it would, it would be interesting to see Greenwood being given a shot up front for England. Given the fact that I don't think there's any other outstanding Standing candidates to kind of come in instead of Harry Kane. I think, you know, Dominic Cavett-Lewin has had a fantastic year and a half for Everton. And, you know, likes of Watkins and Bamford can offer useful things up front as well. But I don't see anything close to a world-class replacement if Harry Kane's not in the team, apart from Mason Greenwood. I mean, if you look at him going forward, he could be a genuinely world-class player. And I think, you know, obviously Southgate wants to be cautious, but this could have been a real opportunity to give him some proper tried and tested time in a position which he's been touted to do big things in and that England don't necessarily have a lot of other world-class cover in. See, the issue I take with it is I understand the situation Bellingham, but obviously Bellingham played and was called up into the squad for the European Championships this past summer, has been part of numerous England squads over the last year. Greenwood hasn't been part of an England squad, I think I'm right in saying, since him and Phil Foden had that incident in Iceland, which I think goes back all the way to the previous September in 2020. For me, I don't buy that you've got to manage his football. He he hasn't played for the England under-21s since receiving a call-up to the England senior men's national team. I just, I think this could have been an ideal opportunity, as you say, given the strength, the state of play of the group at this moment in time. I think it could have been an ideal chance to give him game time to see if he can step up into international football because as we all know, international football is different from Premier League football, from domestic-based football. It feels like a missed opportunity for me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think also, you know, managers get so little opportunity to look at these players. Again, I can kind of understand Bellingham a bit more because Southgate's actually had quite a bit of time to work with him now. He obviously went to the Euros of England. That kind of feels more in the case of Southgate knows what he's working with and he wants to kind of give him a rest. But yeah, as, as you say with Greenwood, he's not been in the England squad for a while. And even when he was in, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't had a lot of opportunity to play with England and to even, to, you know, train with a senior squad and kind of bed himself in. I think he's going to miss out on this window. It's possible he comes into the squad for the November games. And then after that, you're kind of getting into the home straight of progressing towards the World Cup. Qualifying, I think, ends in March. And then I believe there's Nations League games over the summer going into the start of September as well. So there are still quite a lot of matches in between now and the World Cup. But it's still comparatively little, really, when you when you think about what Southgate has, the amount of chance he has to work with Greenwood and watch him in an England shirt it does feel like the clock's kind of ticking down to 2022 World Cup and yeah it it does definitely feel like a missed opportunity okay we will park 
that conversation. I'm sure we'll come back to it in next week's episode when we are into the international break. Midweek, we saw the Champions League return for the second round of fixtures for the season's competition. I think it's probably fair to say it was a mixed set of results for the English teams. We obviously saw Chelsea go away to Juventus and lose 1-0. Manchester City lost away to Paris Saint-Germain. But on the flip side of that, we also saw Liverpool go away to Porto, win quite handsomely 5-1. I'm sure we'll talk about it. There was some questionable goalkeeping in that game, shall we say. And we also saw Manchester United somehow, I'll repeat that, somehow claim a injury time winner against Villarreal to win that game 2-1 at Old Trafford. What are your thoughts on those games that we saw midweek? It's really hard to judge some of those games, I think. I mean, what I would say is the two teams that lost, Chelsea and City, I don't have any worries there. I didn't think Chelsea played particularly well in that match. I thought they looked quite stale. But they have been hit by injuries recently. That's not going to continue forever. And I think with both the City and Chelsea games, I think, sure, they lost, but I'm not sure you know, the prospect of them going through in a group has been particularly dented by that. You look at Chelsea have already won against Zenit St. Petersburg. City have already won against Derby Leipzig. Those are disappointing results and maybe it gives the advantage to Juve and PSG in terms of potentially finishing top of the group. But really with the Champions League, I think you just get through. You get through the group stage. It doesn't really matter whether you finish first or second. You're going to have to play the big teams if you want to win the tournament regardless. It's not like the league where every game matters. I think you just get yourself through that group. I mean, you mentioned with the Liverpool one, yeah, the the goalkeeping was uh, something else really. I didn't think Liverpool were necessarily that spectacular. The sudden not 5-1 spectacular but when you've got goalkeepers handing them out on a platter to you the Liverpool forwards are known to be some of the most ruthless about so they're not going to show you any mercy when you do that the Man United one I think you've probably got a lot more to say on that than I have so I don't know about that. I want to, I think I'm going to take a point that you've just said there is about getting through the group and I'm going to restrain myself from going on a rant here about Manchester United's game against Villarreal. All I'll say is, is I think as a supporter, and I'm, again, I'm sure a lot of other Manchester United fans will share the sentiment, it was quite a frustrating game to watch. I think the biggest frustration for me is you look at the quality that's out on the pitch and a lot of the time it doesn't always translate into good performances. We saw Ronaldo, Pogba, Sancho, Fernandez. Greenwood all on the pitch at the same time it felt like Villarreal were carving obviously I know that's at the opposite end of the pitch but it did just feel like the team was so attack minded we were then getting carved open time and time again I I honestly I I came away from that game thinking how on earth have we won this let alone drawn it it was it was one of those games but as you say the main thing is getting the result it was a huge result for United huge result for Solskjaer in the context of the group we obviously needed to win given the fact that we lost on the first match day against Young Boy so two important games coming up now against Atalanta and we're going to have to make them count if we do want to progress into the knockout stages that's for sure this conversation quite naturally segues us into another team that are obviously competing in the Champions League this year but certainly enjoying much different fortunes to how they normally perform that club being Barcelona they lost 3-0 against Benfica it's not been a great start to the season domestically for them either they're currently sitting ninth 
in Liga at the moment. They lost yesterday against Atletico Madrid. We obviously have spoke about on the podcast previously about the financial situation that Barcelona find themselves in. I mean, not to go off on a tangent here, but I found it really interesting. In, in midweek, there was a report that was released by La Liga detailing all of the different salary caps that La Liga clubs are subjected to for the season. And Barcelona's, quite frightening, really, has been slashed from 246 million to 85 million. And it's now the seventh highest in the Liga and it's below Real Sociedad, Athletic Bilbao, Villarreal. And you think of the sizes of those teams and you just think, how on earth has it got to this point? What went wrong with the previous regime, the previous presidency? It's It feels like there's so much to try and unpack there. I don't even know where to begin, but what's your assessment as someone looking in from the outside at the situation that Barcelona are currently in? It's quite incredible, really, when you think about the situation that they find themselves in financially. I mean, yeah, I, I'm kind of like you. I don't really know what to say about it. I mean, when it comes to those kind of off-field things, it is so extraordinary. A lot of La Liga teams have maybe n- not found it so easy financially in the last couple of years. I mean, Real Madrid have suddenly had their own problems as well. But the way that Barcelona have managed to mess things up in that regard really is kind of unparalleled. But what I, what I don't understand about Barcelona really is, I mean, they've obviously had to downgrade their squad quite a lot through for example the most obvious one is having to let Lionel Messi go because they couldn't afford his wages but there's still a lot of talented players at that club they brought in Memphis Depay over the summer Eric Garcia who's you know was in and out of the Spain team in the Euros and impressed at times for Man City but they look so bit party at the moment the 3-0 loss against Benfica I really don't feel like it flattered Benfica at all I'm watching the highlights back and some of the Barcelona defending in particular was was just woeful. Luke de Jong had an absolute stinker. I mean, the fact they've gone from Luis Suarez, Antoine Griezmann, Lionel Messi, and now it's you know Memphis Depay and Luke de Jong leading the line is, you know, on its own, it doesn't really make sense. The decision to let Luis Suarez go is really incredible. You obviously, last year, he went on to win the league with Atletico in his first season there, scored and assisted against Barca for Atletico at the weekend. I mean, it's incredible, really, how blatantly some of the decisions that the board have made have come back to buy them. I mean, really, it couldn't be more on the nose than, you know, Luis Suarez last season, I believe, scoring the goal to win Atletico the title. And this season, scoring and assisting against them in a 2-0 win over Barcelona. It's baffling, really, because tongue-in-cheek way to look at it is they got rid of what they called one ageing South American striker and said they were going down a different path only a year later to bring another ageing South American striker into the club who, for a while, it looked like they wouldn't even be able to register as a player due to the, the financial concerns that they have. I mean, what you were saying at the start of your point there is exactly how I feel. It's incredible how far they've fallen. You always have periods where clubs do tend to fall. We spoke earlier in the episode about AC Milan when they were in sort of the mid to lower table reaches of Serie A. We've seen teams in England obviously in the past be relegated from those, some of the big six, obviously. It's, it's odd. I mean, I look over my shoulder and there's, there's a photograph on my wall for, for listeners that are interested. There's a photograph on my wall of Lionel Messi holding his shirt up in celebration after scoring a goal in El Clasico. I think it was probably from four or five years ago now. And you look at the team they had then, I think it was the year after they just won the Champions League and it's baffling. It's absolutely baffling how they've got to this state 
weeks. Ronald Koeman coming into the weekend looked to be a dead man walking. Then all of a sudden, the club president comes out and gives him his vocal support to go on at least for a, another couple of games. I mean, we've talked about the problems off the field. On the field, it, it isn't too much better. As we say, they were they were comprehensively beaten by Benfica. When you look at the team, do you look at some of the players like Ansu Fati, Pedri, Frankie de Jong, as you say there? It looks like they will bring in a new head coach at some point. If they can get the right appointment in place, do you hold out hope that in the next couple of years they can get back to challenging for those titles, whether that be domestically or on the European stage? If you look at the personnel, there's definitely good prospects to come from that. As you say, De Jong is one of the best midfielders in the world. Pedri's one of the best young talents in the world. Fatty looks like a real prospect. They've got, what I do like about the bus team at the moment, for all there is not to like about it, is that they've got a few other La Masia graduates who are coming into the team now. I think there's a guy, Gavi, who's 17 years old. And okay. there's another there's another young Spanish guy who started against Atletico Madrid, I think in central midfield this weekend. So there do seem to be a few guys coming through from La Massey. I don't know if that's just desperation, you know, having to throw players in because of injury or whether these are genuine talents or not. I mean, I've heard good things about Gavi at the very least. The thing for Barca is they've definitely got the foundations to build. You know, they've got some good young players, maybe a couple coming through from La Masia. It's still a brilliant place to go and live and play football. And, you know, they're still a huge club. It's just they've got to steady the shit at the board level with the finances and stuff like that because they're in a position at the moment where if they steady the shit, they've still got easily enough enough to work with that they could build a team capable of challenging for all of the trophies around within a couple of years quite easily but if they continue on the trajectory they're going which is complete opposite direction they're only going to lose out on more players you know if they only only reason they lost Lionel Messi this summer was because they couldn't afford him he wanted to stay and they had to let him go because they couldn't afford him if the financial troubles keep getting worse and worse they're going to have to let some of these players go to balance the books I think that's the worry for me of Barcelona they can try and bring in the right coach and they can try and recruit but if they don't have the resources to be able to do that it's only going to keep going downhill for them I think that's a good point actually to mention in the sense of it does look like it's going unfortunately for Barcelona fans anyway it does look like it's going to get worse before it starts to get better again we will have to wait and see how that develops okay let's move on to everyone's favorite segment of the episode it is the fantasy football section and I've got to say it's been another shocker of a week for me Tom 32 points in total the average hasn't been released yet obviously we're on Sunday so by tomorrow morning we should know I am anticipating that I'm going to be right down near the bottom of that scale how did you do this weekend I'm doing okay this week, actually. 51 points for me is certainly not, certainly not a bad week. I mean, for me, I, as usual, am riding off a Mo Salah high. He's been my captain right through the season, so a goal and assist today gives me 26 points just from him. I also got two for Raul Jimenez, who, of course, I shouted out earlier, so there's a reason why I've got a love for him right now. Brought him in only because of a couple of injuries. I brought, I had Calvert-Lewin, he got injured. Brought in Richarlison, he got injured. So then I turned to Raul Jimenez. I had Alexander Arnold injured, didn't realise that was going to be the case, so I forgot to take him out, which is a bit annoying, really. Yeah, the one for me that's interesting is Lukaku. Last couple of weeks, the goals have dried up a bit, so I'm hoping that that starts to take back off again, because he was a real banker for me in the last couple of weeks, and yeah, that, that certainly started to dry up a bit. 
Well, I'm glad someone's had a good week anyway. As I say, it's it's not been a great week for me. Captain again. I mean, captaincy, the zero points didn't come back to bite me for a third week in a row. I did actually manage to get some points from my captaincy this week, although it was only four from Lukaku, as you mentioned. The goals have started to dry up, so fingers crossed he can start to find those again relatively soon. And in all fairness, actually, I look across my team and virtually all the big hitters were blanking this week. Bruno Fernandes only got, a f- I think it was a four or five on the team. Five, five points. And Rama, Jota and Rafinha, all nearly near and maybes. Danny Ings and Ivan Tony up front. I think ultimately what I'm now having to consider is, is it worth taking out a Bruno Fernandes or taking out maybe what would probably be more feasible is taking out a Danny Ings or an Ivan Tony and bringing in maybe a Mikel Antonio or someone of that stature. I need to change something. Things need to change. I need to start climbing that table. I said I would take over Owen Brown. I've, I'm not letting him off. <laughs> yeah. Did you make any transfers for this game week? I don't think I did this week. No. Which I'm not quite sure why I didn't, because I was definitely planning on taking Soyuncu out. I can remember you um, saying, actually. Yeah. Again, that didn't. I thought I had taken him out. I wish I had, because it did, obviously hasn't paid off for me. Another two goals conceded for Leicester. One thing's for sure. He's definitely coming out now. If he was supposed to before, he's definitely coming out now, which guarantees he's keeping a clean sheet next week. Yeah, no. I, apart from that, I'm quite happy with my team. This wasn't actually a great week for my team overall. I've really, I've been carried by Salah this week. Uh, two points for Rüdiger, one point for Matip. Alexander Arnold was injured, one point for Edison. But overall, I think those players have all been pretty solid bases for me just to get consistent points. That's kind of what I've gone for this year, particularly in defence, is just solid players who are going to pick up consistent points. I think I'm going to have to ask you for some tips moving forward, to be honest, because our little mini league is starting to break out of. I think you're going to be stretching on ahead of me soon enough if I don't get my act together. So, yeah. It can all change very quickly now. I didn't have a good week last week. I think I was only on 30-odd points last week, so... (laughs) Well, we'll have to wait and see then. As I say, I'm going to need to get my act together before I start talking about taking over anyone else anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think that is a good point to end today's episode. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this unique one-off episode listeners it was just between myself and Tom today we got through a lot of different topics and discussions and as I said at the start of the episode if you want to get involved with any of them you can do so by following us on our social medias whether that be Twitter or Facebook you know what to do get in the comment section and let us know what you think we will be back next week as we've mentioned in today's episode it is international football starting next week for two weeks so we'll be getting stuck into the games that take place over the coming weekend and giving our reaction to that and any and all other big stories that break across the week as always thank you for listening take care and we will speak next week bye bye bye